Let's get out to Grant Hughes, a Bleacher Report. Uh, Grant, how the heck are you? Welcome to the Big Show. Oh, I'm doing good. I'm uh, trying to refresh Twitter and see the five signings that happen every 10 seconds, even on uh, even though we're past the real uh, uh, whirlwind of that first day. Yeah, the action is continuing. Grant, uh, I guess let's start with the Jazz. I mean, they, they, go, they trade for Mike Conley, and then they end up with Bogdanovich and Ed Davis. What did you think of the moves that they've made? I think, uh, I mean, just as a blanket statement, I think I like really the whole offseason for them. Um, you know, it was clear to me and, and really everybody during the postseason last year that, you know, they're just hurting for shot creation or shot making, really, because there were a lot of stats out there showing that the quality of shots that the Jazz generated in the postseason were among the best in terms of open threes and just quality looks, and they didn't make them. So they added, you know, in Conley, a guy who certainly is going to make more shots than Ricky Rubio did and, and do some other things at a higher level, too. Bogdanovich is a knockdown shooter, especially as a catch-and-shoot guy that can that can also do some stuff with the ball in his hands, too. So... You throw Davis in there as a, a really good backup center. I think, you know, they really they really did sort of set themselves up to do more playoff damage. Um, and maybe that means, like, say, defensively, they take a step back during the regular season. But but now I think, correctly, this is a team that's trying to advance deep in the playoffs and they're, and they're better positioned to do that. We were just going through some of the Vegas handicapping and Vegas has them 22 to one to win the championship. And they're down at number 11, as far as those handicapping odds, where would you put the jazz now in the hierarchy of, of NBA powerhouses? Well, I mean, I start by saying that Vegas always hates the jazz. It's just that there's never, I can't remember the last time I felt like Utah got a fair shake in terms of the odds, which really are never fair. Cause you're going to have your Lakers inflated odds and, you know, if the Knicks are half decent, they get good odds. It's just a big market thing. But I think to me, uh, you know, the West is more wide open, obviously, than it's been forever, at least the last half decade since the Warriors have kind of come undone. I think Utah is there with, you know, off the top of my head, Houston, I think, has to be considered still. Um, the Jazz are there. I, I mean, tell me where Kawhi Leonard signs, if it's either of the L.A. teams and they're up there, too. Um, but yeah, I like them better than say your Portland's or your, your Oklahoma cities, or, or, you know, they're right there with Denver, maybe better than Denver. Um, they're definitely in that upper tier. It's just a question of what really what Kawhi Leonard's going to do. Cause that could change almost everything. You know, you mentioned this already, Grant, but Mike Conley, he can shoot it. He can create shots. He's, he can, he's really good on the catch and shoot. He's good from the mid range. How about his defense? Uh, is he still at 31, able to uh, cover the elite point guards in the league? I think he's about as – I mean, I'd say he's about as good as you're going to do for a 31-year-old, if that makes sense. In terms of, you know, quickness-wise, he's not what he was five years ago. Um, but, I, I mean, he was an all-defensive player five years ago. So it's, you know, no great uh, decline to slip from that level. Um, I think really as much as anything – he's going to be in the right place all the time. Um, and that matters more as a help wing defender or as a help big, but it still matters as a point guard. He's going to be the first line of defense. He's not going to make mistakes going under or over screens when the game plan says to do the opposite. Um, he's solid, steady at, at worst. Um, and I think he can be better than that, especially with Gobert behind him to sort of uh, let him be a little more aggressive if he wants to. Give us your thoughts on Boyan Bogdanovich and, and your, just your projections of him 
as he now gets uh, arrives with this Jazz roster, his ability with Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, and Mike Conley? And Joe well, Ingles. I mean, yeah, and Joe Ingles. Well, that's going to be an interesting question, I think, because, uh, you know, in theory, I guess you'd start Bogdanovich and Ingles together. Uh, maybe you guys have heard different, but neither of them is really a power forward, certainly not in the sense that Derek Favors was. Um, so I think the defensive matchups might be a little bit tricky, um, but they could really bring Ingles off the bench and have him run second units if they wanted to. Um, I think Ingles is clearly good enough to be a starter. But but as for Bogdanovich, um, really kind of an interesting career year in his age 29 season, so you got to be a little skeptical of that. Um, I don't know that he's going to go for you know 18 points on really great 42.5% three-point shooting last year. But as like your third or fourth option offensively, um, man, it's hard to it's hard to do a lot better than him just because he's going to make every open three he takes. He's just, I mean, lights out, knockdown guy on the catch. And as as a secondary playmaker, maybe he gets closed out on or run off the line. Um, he sees the floor pretty well, especially driving to his right. Um, you guys will notice he's going to drive right a lot. Um, and, and he can finish okay. So as as a third or fourth option, he's really uh, almost overqualified. Grant Hughes of Bleacher Report Port joins the uh, big show. Grant, uh, as you mentioned earlier, the Jazz under Quinn Snyder, they create open shots. That's what they do. They do that about as yeah. well as any team in the league. And if you've got a, a guy like Bogdanovich who's going to make those shots, and Ingles is is no uh, slouch, he he kind of slumped against the Rockets during the playoffs. But it makes me wonder how defenses are going to go up against what the Jazz offer offensively. No longer can they, a switching defense just do its work and then dare the Jazz to go one on one because between Conley, Mitchell. And uh, and uh, Bogdanovich, uh, you, you would expect those guys to be able to hold their own against the switches. Yeah, I think too. Uh, certainly, I think teams will have to go smaller just because you know guarding Derek Favors is a very different. Even Jay Crowder really is a different thing than guarding Bogdanovich or Ingles. Um, I'd be curious to see. You know, think of it this way: the Jazz are going to have four ace shooters. I mean, Mitchell's not an ace percentage shooter, but he scares defenses out there and could get better. Um, Surrounding Gobert, you know, the Jazz aren't a big, haven't historically been a big pick-and-roll team where you got guys standing around and and you set a screen and let Conley kind of probe and Gobert rolls and and that kind of thing. They like to keep bodies moving. But if you can space the floor like they're going to be able to, you're really going to put defenses in tough positions because you you can't help off of any of those shooters. You just can't. So Gobert may get some real clean looks rolling to the rim that maybe weren't there before. Moving on to the uh, <clears throat> the Golden State Warriors, I, I, I think one of the reasons Jazz fans are so excited is because we're seeing Golden State kind of disintegrate from what they were and still more pieces to probably leave. I want you to paint a picture of what... Um, of what this team is going to look like with its newest acquisition and the pieces that have now left? Well, it's going to be really different. Um, I think certainly there's no replacing Kevin Durant. There's just not anyone like him, obviously. And Clay Thompson is going to miss a chunk of the year. So right away, you're going to be looking at Stephen Curry, I think, in a much bigger role. And I think if you're not convinced that D'Angelo Russell was strictly an asset play, meaning a guy that the Warriors got because they could and will intend to trade him at the earliest opportunity, um, you could at least say that Russell is 
going to take some of the playmaking pressure off of Curry. Um, but big picture, defensively, the Warriors are significantly worse. Um, I mean, Iguodala is a huge loss. Thompson being out just cripples their backcourt defense. Um, Durant was a fine defender when he was engaged. So it's going to be a lot different than it has been in the past few years where the Warriors could really clamp down defensively when they needed to and just outscore you with, you know, a, a 50-point third quarter or whatever. You know, things they, they, those, those days are done. Um, they'll be obviously worse, but I think really the, the spot to watch is defensively. I just They're not going to have the firepower there. Grant, we were talking about this question earlier. Is it a good thing or a bad thing for the NBA if Kawhi Leonard ends up with the Lakers? Uh, you know, I think there are certainly people that will say uh, this, this super team stuff, it's, it, it takes the intrigue out of it. it. You know, the Lakers will be too good. Uh, you know, but look, the Warriors, they didn't win the title last year. Things can happen. Um, and they were enormous favorites. And who knows what's going to happen with injuries, with whatever. So I like it. I, I wouldn't have a problem at all seeing Leonard in L.A., if only because we've never really seen three players – that you say are top five, top six in the league play together. Um, I think I'm just so curious as to how they fill out that roster. I think just from a, a curiosity perspective, I, I'd like to see it. And, and it doesn't really bother me. Super teams, quote unquote, have really always existed. This would just be really a whole new level with those three guys together. You know, I'm taking a look at Brooklyn and I'm taking the, the chance on Kevin Durant coming back from the Achilles. Bad idea, good idea. Did you feel like New York had a little bit, the Knicks had a little bit of egg on their face with the a statement? I think it was made by ESPN. I can't remember talking about they were afraid of the Achilles. How, how do you think that's all going to work out? Well, uh, first of all, I don't believe that that's true. I think that's the Knicks doing some spin um, because Durant didn't want to sign with them for the, because they've been a dysfunctional organization for 20 years. So um, I would throw that out. But um, the Achilles injury is really as bad as it gets in terms of you know how it affects players' careers negatively. Nobody really – Dominique Wilkins is always the best example um, of a guy that came back and was really productive after it. Um, but – Everybody else, you know, what, look at DeMarcus Cousins last year. He could, you know, he's a different kind of player because he's got so much weight that he's carrying, but he could hardly move. Um, and, you know, Rudy Gay is another example. He's a role guy now. He was more of a star before. Uh, I just, you're always going to have decline after the Achilles, even for someone as great as Kevin Durant. So if you wanted to be careful, I would understand it. Um, but at the same time, if you can sign Kevin Durant, I think you probably do it, and you just figure out, you know, how much decline you're talking when he's back in a year. I, I just think you take the talent. How effective can teams be in filling out their rosters? I was thinking about this when we talk about the Lakers, but it's also true for the Jazz a little bit with uh, the money that they've spent now that they're on the books for. How effective is it to fill out the roster with minimum salary guys? You know, it kind of depends. Uh, you know, usually, like, take the Warriors since we were talking about them, but in the past, they had sort of been able to count on getting some veterans at the minimum that wanted to chase a ring. And so if you're that type of team, which maybe really the Jazz are now, um, or close to it, your, your options kind of open up a little bit. Um, but, you know, guys are, un- guys are available at the minimum usually for a reason, and that's because, you know, in theory, you don't really want them filling rotation roles. Um, you want your, you know, your third string point guard, your, your fifth big guy, you know, the last guy on your bench, that type of thing. 
Um, but it, so it's really difficult, and it can be made easier if you're a good team. Um, so that's kind of it's kind of a sliding scale, I guess, in that sense. Are there some guys who are available just because teams are spending all their money on the big name free or bigger name free agents? So some guys sort of get shut out. I think, well, certainly there's like an order to how these things go. And uh, DeMarcus Cousins is a good example. You know, there have been reports that there's just no market for him, um, which could be true. But but I think, too, that, you know, there are a couple, there are a few teams with cap space and they're waiting for Kawhi Leonard, um, you know, both of the L.A. teams, basically. And I think sometimes when the market has to wait for a big domino to fall, that kind of leaves guys out because, you know, no one's going to sign DeMarcus Cousins if it means compromising their cap space, then you can't sign Kawhi Leonard then. I mean, that's just a non-starter. Um, I'm not sure we're at the point in free agency where it's going to be all minimum guys. You know, there are some quality players out there still. Danny Green's available. Um, Marcus Morris is available. DeLon Wright is a restricted free agent in Memphis. There's, there's you know, more money to be spent if, if you want to. Um, but in a day or two, I think that's when maybe there's going to be some real potential minimum salary bargains, but, but not quite yet. Do you think Kawhi Leonard knows where he's going to go? And do you think the team knows that he's coming? <laughs> if I knew anything about what Kawhi Leonard was planning to do, I think I would probably be selling that information to the highest bidder. Um, I, I just don't, I don't think anybody knows. Um, there have been specs, there's been speculation that we haven't heard anything because this is a test from Leonard's camp of who's going to leak information and who's not. And if you leak information, you're not getting Kawhi Leonard. Um, so I think we're not going to know until we know. Um, and I have no idea. I, I imagine a couple of teams have an idea. They have a shot. But other than that, um, it's kind of weirdly refreshing radio silence because at least it tells you it's possible to do this free agency stuff without leaks every 30 seconds. The very honest Grant Hughes of Bleacher Report joins us. Uh, Grant, what do you uh, make of what Ennis Cantor was saying, how the Blazers gave him six minutes or whatever to make up his mind as to whether he was going to re-sign with them, and so he jumps to the Celtics. I guess Damian Lillard came out later and said, wait a minute, he had 45. He had 45 minutes to decide. But do you believe what Ennis is saying? I don't know. It feels like an exaggeration to me um, from a guy that, you know, does a fair amount of talking, generally speaking. Um, it, I guess it's possible because, the, you know, the way these transactions happen stacked up one after the other and the complexity and the, the short windows to get things done with, you know, competing bids and all this other stuff. I guess it's possible that you'd be in a position where you had to make a call like that, but it's hard to buy that. Uh, it was kind of the type of thing that, you know, this offer explodes in six minutes. So that that seems a little bit sensational to me. So we sort of talked a little bit about the West and how it's all going to come together, at least on paper. What about back East? What do you think is going to happen there? Uh, if, if Kawhi doesn't go back to Toronto, what's that looking like at the top of the conference? I mean, there's a couple places you got to start, and, 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 you know, one is the Bucks because they won 60 games last year and I think probably ought to be the favorites still, um, assuming Leonard uh, isn't back in Toronto. Um, I think the Sixers got a lot better defensively. I mean, that, I think that Sixers defense could be the best in the league now with Al Horford and Josh Richardson um, added to that starting five. Boston, I think, is going to be pretty good. They're going to struggle defensively in contrast, but, you know, you get Kemba Walker in there and you could talk me into him being, you know, 
really, all things considered, chemistry-wise, a better fit and a better producer than Kyrie Irving was. The Nets kind of on hold until Durant's back, but there's at least three or four teams up there towards the top of the East that are going to be real, really formidable. Um, the, the bottom half of the East is, again, not that impressive, um, but, or at least of the top eight teams. But I think you've got, you're going to have three, four, maybe five teams in those first five seeds in the East. They're going to be right there, I think, with anything the West can put together, barring a, a Lakers super team. So I think Kawhi is the last piece to, to watch fall. And what I'm going to do for this question, I'm going to set Kawhi in Toronto. So he stays in Toronto. I'm going to ask you, if you could take over any roster as a head coach in the NBA, which roster would you want to organize, coach, and play with? I mean, if I I just have to – well, if I got to deal with the fallout in Toronto after, you know, Kyle Lowry and Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka are all three agents after next year and who knows with Leonard – I'd think about it, but if, if I could pick anywhere and you're telling me Kawhi's in Toronto, I'm taking Toronto. Um, that's a team that, I mean, the work's done for you. They know how they want to play. They got everybody that matters back pretty much. And Danny Green's going to be up in the air, I guess. But, I mean, that's a, that's a plug-and-play situation. I, I think, you know, you know Leonard is at least one of the three best players in the league. You know you're deep. You know you've got shooting. You just won a title, so you know what that entails. You know the work it takes. As a coach, I'm, I'm going to sit back and take that one. I think that's the easy route. They did sort of get the advantage of having a Warriors team that was uh, beat all to hell, really. Uh, so they did uh, they did have that uh, edge for them. But like Hans was talking about earlier, Grant, the, the Warriors as we know them no longer exist. True, yeah. they. I think certainly what you can say about them based on this offseason is that they're not going to just go away. I mean, the, the Russell sign-in trade was really bold and really risky and sort of the only move that the Warriors had to get major talent, even if it doesn't fit and they probably plan to trade it. Um, but, yeah, they're, it's, a new, it's a new era, really. Um, for five years, the Warriors were, you know, the favorites every summer going into the season um, and deserved to be. And now you could talk me into 10, 12 teams uh, that wouldn't shock me if they won a title uh, in next June. Grant, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, Thanks a lot. Grant Hughes, Bleacher Report.